You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. This show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. Hello and welcome to part one of our first guest special episode of 2021 for the British GT Fan Show, fuelled by TCF Sportscars. Our first guest is none other than Team Parker Racing driver Scott Malvin. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith, alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith. everyone and welcome to the first British GT Fan Show guest special episode of 2021. Uh, we're really, really pleased uh, to welcome Scott Malvin, who's joining us today. Hi, Scott. Hi, everyone. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Um, pleased to be here. Pleased to be a guest on the show. Uh, Nick and myself are here. Uh, you all know the format by now, hopefully. But if you are a first-time listener, then we split our interviews into three sections. So we have a slightly more formal first section where we discuss our guests' careers um, and kind of the things that they have done, um, where they're going. And then we move on. We also have a listener section uh, where you can submit your questions. And we've got a good bunch for Scott today. And we also have our quickfire questions, which are brilliant questions just to get people thinking and a bit of a black and white decision. And then, of course, we have our elephant in the room, although not necessarily (laughs) in the room. Uh, So Nick's going to kick us off today. So over to you, Nick. Hello, Scott. Obviously, I've been doing research into your career and I've looked through your, your, your racing career today. And I've also looked through your, your, your entry on Wikipedia. Sometimes a mistake. A question yes. immediately sprung to mind. How can you go to Catrum High School and never race a Catrum? Um, do you know, I, I, I never even made the link when I was at school. Never even sort of made that link. Um, I don't know why. Didn't even, didn't even really think about it. But no, I've not, never raced a Catrum. Uh, driven plenty, but never, never raced one, no. Is it something you'd like to do? Uh, race a caterham um they they look like great fun i mean whenever i've driven a caterham they're they're fantastic you know fantastic fun to drive um i'm not sure i'd want to having seen and coached some caterham races you know they're they're they seem fairly fairly crazy um so i'm not sure i want to put myself in the middle of all that <laughs> but yeah um i'm sure they're great fun to race um much probably pretty similar to actually racing you know, Formula Ford style, um, you know, low grip, low power. Um, so, yeah, good fun, I would imagine. And just like Formula Ford, a complete and upper dra- utter drag fest as well. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Slipstreams yeah. everywhere. In in looking through your history, of course, we've, 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 there's a few places we go straight off. Um, one of them is Driver DB. 
I don't believe I've ever seen so much gold in a driver's career highlights as I saw on yours. Okay. <laughs> a large part of that was, was due to success in karting. You, you, you had quite a lot of success in karting, obviously starting just before your ninth birthday at Bucknell and, and, and going through, uh, what was it, about eight years you were in karting? Yeah. Um, started in cadets, won some uh, club championships, won a few club championships in cadets, uh, moved into juniors, uh, raced at national level, but never really sort of committed, committed sort of heavily to it at that point. Um, you know, it was more club racing really at that stage still. Um, managed to keep winning basically all the way through my karting career, really. Um, and then towards the end, um, focused completely on on national championships, um, which was obviously a lot more, you know, a lot more in um, in terms of like required budget to race. Um, so it was a lot less races, um, and it was much higher competition as well. You know, racing the the premier category in the UK, um, and and the premier category across Europe at the time. Um, against some you know, really tough drivers, factory drivers at the time as well. Um, yeah, we, we gave a good showing, um, won some trophies, won a few races. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was a fun time. And that continued uh, obviously a year out in two thousand and eight, and then you, you you moved into cars in two thousand and nine. And as I say, it continued yeah. uh, because. You took the sing. Uh, I put here. You took the junior single seater Formula A by storm. Uh, so, Jackie, so Jackie Stewart, Golden Helmet Trophy winner, two thousand and nine. Club Formula Ford National Post eighty nine champion, two thousand and nine. Club Formula Ford Midland South champion, two thousand and nine. And third in Club Formula Ford North West for two thousand and nine. The two things that spring to mind here. Is first, I hope you were using club card points to get your fuel to get to and from the racetrack. That's a lot of miles to cover. Uh, but second, how do you feel your time? Because you were working on cars as well, weren't you? You were, you, you were, you were spannering for Jamin, weren't you? Yeah, so 2008, um, I stopped racing um, and I, I got a job at, at, with Jamin um, as a mechanic. It was primarily as a, just as a, a helper. I wasn't meant to be a mechanic. I was just meant to be helping them out, um, you know, doing tire runs and things like that, and just generally being a spare pair of hands. Um, but after a few days, I ended up as a number one mechanic um, for a year, um, and that that taught me, you know, so much in the the year that I was there. Um, so much that I, you know, I still use all that knowledge and everything I learned um, even now. So it's really helped me through my career, um, you know, and for 2009, you know, at the end of 2008, I had watched all these young guys starting out in their careers in Formula Ford. Um, and I'd become quite invested in it. And, you know, I was, I was interested obviously massively because I wanted to race still myself having just finished karting. Um, and I was, you know, I, I was just looking at all this, all these guys, and just looking, thinking, I could, I could do this. I could do a better job than this. Um, and then decide, then, then set about trying to find the money to go and race in two thousand nine um, in the in the national series. Fortunately, a lot of those races you mentioned, um, mm -hmm. the championships were actually kind of intertwined. So 
you know, some of the, I, I actually only did like one or two races in the Northwest championship because it was a round of the national series. Um, and there was a race for the Northwest championship on that same weekend. So it was just extra track time. And so it made sense to do the extra races, um, you know, in the same car ended up with multiple championships, fortunately from, from one year where a lot of the races were actually combined, but that was, so it was quite nice. Got a lot of racing in, um, in that first year. Um, and again, again, gained massive amounts of experience. Just that's, that's, I still use now. Yeah. It's the beauty of what I think of as proper formula Ford. Um, before they put slicks and wings on it. Um, it's a yeah. beauty of proper formula Ford. proper formula Ford is that if you own a formula Ford car, you can race every weekend, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. And there's all, there's always someone to race against as well. You know, it's so, it's so popular, you know, even now, you know, you look at the race, you look at some of the big races like Walter Hayes and the festival, you know, there's a huge range of machinery and there's a huge range of ability. Um, so no matter where you are with it, there is always someone to race and it's always great fun. Um, you know, and it, like you say, there is somewhere to race, you know, most weekends. So it's a, it's a great place to start. In 2010, you then stepped up to what I think of more as the professional, professional junior single seater series. So out of the national champions and into the, to, to the, to the formula Ford, the Dunlop MSA formula Ford championship of Great Britain. And you raced with two teams, obviously Jamin that you had been working for, and also Cliff Dempsey. Now mm-hmm. we're talking two titans of Formula Ford there, aren't we? They are well-known names. What challenges did running with two of these big names provide and what benefits? Um, so 2010, obviously with Cliff, um, mm. the, 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 <laughs> the challenge really at that time was going into the top series with you know, uh, going against Jamin, you know, when we were with Cliff, we were going against Jamin, against the favoured McGow chassis uh, that Jamin ran and that most of the teams ran at that point. So that was, that was the, that was the real challenge. Um, you know, we were coming into it having no experience really of slicks, no experience really of the Duratec with an unfavoured car. We had the Ray, um, we had the Ray chassis, which hadn't raced in Duratec really properly for a, for a while. Um, but yeah, we, we gave a good showing, um, and we managed that we managed to, even though we weren't the fastest car on the grid, we still managed to, um, strategically outplay our opponents a little bit. And part of that knowledge came from having worked for Jamin and understanding the way that they work, um, you know, and the way that they, they nurture their drivers and the way that they teach them. Um, you know, I could use some of that knowledge to sort of counteract it, men- counteract them mentally. You know, know yeah, know no, no your enemy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it, that it worked for for a while. You know, the first half of the season certainly we were in a really strong position. You know, because I I surprised a lot of people and um, you know I, I put a lot of people off their off their stride. Um, but you know, inevitably the, the you know the pace just wasn't there. Um, you know, we didn't, we didn't have the, you know, Cliff's a very, he's a very, uh, he's a very strong character. Um, and he knows what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. 
And at that time, unfortunately, I wasn't I wasn't strong enough as a driver to push back enough um, to get what mm. I needed. So the pace just didn't come and the development just didn't come. And unfortunately, we ended up losing the championship that year by a couple of points or something like that. It was, it was, you know, it was agonizingly close at the end. Um, but it, it, it is what it is. Um, you know, but the, the year after, yeah, the year after going to Jamin was, was like coming home. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, obviously you took the championship in the, uh, in the, uh, in the big Formula Four championship. And you also took, Possibly the most competitive race weekend, potentially aside from the Walter Hayes, because you took the Formula Ford Festival as well, didn't you, that year? Yeah. Um, that was probably one of my, I would say probably my favourite, one of my favourite years in, in my career, actually, 2011. You know, going back to Jamin, working with a mechanic that I'd worked alongside previously, obviously working with James, um, team manager, you know, mm. and and the coaches that are there and or that were there at the time, um, and it just it it was a different kind of year. You know, initially I I struggled um, mm. when I went into the team because I'd come from Cliff, where I was a very clear, you know, I want to say number one, but I wasn't a number one, but I was the I was the one I was the one getting the results in the team at Cliffs. Mm. Um, my teammate wasn't, but then I moved into Jamin with three teammates, two of which were very, very good. Um, so all of a sudden it was, there was a lot of expectation on, on me, um, to perform. And I must admit at that point, although I'd won a lot of races at that point already at that point, I won a championship in 2009 and obviously come close to winning it the year before in 2010. I realized when I got to 2011 and we started testing at the beginning of the year that I had so much to learn still. Um, and yeah, just spent, spent that year or spent the first part of that year, just trying to absorb as much as I possibly could information, trying to put everything to good use and yeah, managed to win quite a lot of races in the end. Once that, once I, once I, understood what was needed and how I was going to deliver it. Um, it was almost like, we, you know, we were almost unstoppable. Um, it was just, I think it was just such a nice harmony. You know, we, between myself and the mechanics and the engineers and the team, it just, everything just worked so nicely. Um, we all had mutual respect for each other. Cause obviously, you know, having been there before as a mechanic, you know, I, I, I just, I just knew how everything worked in the team so well that mm. nothing I didn't I didn't have to learn that those aspects of it. All I had to do was learn how to drive the car to its maximum potential. So did you find your time wrenching for the team might have almost got you a little bit more respect from the mechanics as well? Yeah, well absolutely. So the mechanic who the, the Tom Huxtable um was my mechanic in two thousand eleven. Um he's actually one of the He's he actually one of the uh, lead mechanic or head mechanics now for FFF in Blancpain or yeah. uh, AWS, whatever I call it. Um, 
that don't we covered that on the last episode. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> yeah. I think half of the episode was saying the name of the championship. Just GT Challenge <laughs> Europe, wherever you're eating. GT3. GT, Fanatec GT, GT World Challenge Europe Endurance Each. Cup powered yeah. by AWS, isn't it? All them fast cars that race in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't that, it was driver's names, wasn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, he, he's um, he was actually the guy who... You know, he was the same age as me mm. when in 2008, you know, you know, and he, when I went into that number one mechanic role in 2008, he was the guy that sort of took me under his wing. You know, he, he knew I was in at the deep end at that point and he taught me, you know, everything I needed to know about, you know, running a Formula Ford. Um, so then to be back with him in 2011 as my mechanic, it was, I knew how not I knew I knew how to make his life easy and he knew how to make my life easy and it, it the, the gel was it was so good you know that year was just everything worked so well um you know we didn't have to spend time you know learning how each other work and all that kind of stuff we already we already knew all that stuff um which is why I think it just you know while a lot of team you know you spent a lot of the time you spend six months trying to work out how each other work best mm. and then second half of the season you you know it all starts to work but we didn't have that it was just you know it was great from the off um and i was surprised really that we, we, we sort of held that advantage throughout the year um there was no sort of there was you know jerome my, my teammate jerome um Slavecki and nick mcbride they they were close to me all year and they kept pushing. I mean, Jerome, especially in qualifying, was was really really strong. Um, so, you know, it, th- that year was um, it was great fun. You know, and to win the festival at the end of it was just was just um, dream come true. Really, Can't get my name off. up on the board. Yeah. And back then, of course, you were beating names like Tiff Nadell and things like that because he turns out for the festival most years, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, there was a few people knocking about for the festival. Um, but yeah, you know, it's tough for anybody to just turn up uh, at one of those end of season races and just expect to be expect to be quick, you know, especially when you're racing against season regulars. Um, you know, I, I was just pr- so so proud. You know, it's a, the, the festival is such a such a tough week um you know you have to have everything go right um and it, and it did I'm, I'm thankful that it did i'm angus fender i'm a mclaren gt3 driver for two season motorsport and you're listening to the british gt fans show you said when you were talking about your, your 2010-2011 seasons that you face some some pretty stiff competition from within the team. <laughs> I want to take a look at your 2012 season now, and I'm going to list off a few names. Team owner, Sean Wilkinshaw. Team owner, Jack Dex. BTCC factory drivers, Michael Epps and Tom Oliphant. Bentley driver, factory driver, Seb Morris, and FIA Formula 3 driver, Jake Hughes. Okay. IMSA driver, Trent Hinman, and Matthew Brabham. Now, we're talking about a lot of big names there, all of whom finished behind you in the championship table for your first year in Bark Formula Renault. Now, I suppose that that's what happens when you score points in 13 out of the 14 rounds and <laughs> yeah. only miss the podium four times in a season. So tell us a bit now about Formula Renault, the two teams you raced with in your championship winning season, and why the attention seemed, then seemed to turn a bit towards sports cars. 
It was a good first attempt at, at Renault, yeah. Um, although, you know, it, it was so close. I mean, it, it wasn't in the plan to do Formula Renault in 2012. Um, the, I, I had a deal to do F2. Um, after, two, you know, at the end of 2011, I had obviously all that success. And there was an F2 deal there, you know, a, a sponsored seat, um, which was unfortunately at the last minute taken away um, because someone else brought some funding to that to that deal um and they took the seat away um and it was so last minute i mean we're talking you know it was end of february i think it was just after my birthday actually it was a great birthday present and Mm -hmm. uh the deal was gone and i had nothing i had no other i had no other plans you know i'd put all my eggs into that f2 basket um so It kind of felt like the world was just like my world was just falling apart at that point at that at that time and yeah. um right at the I, I literally at the time i was just doing some coaching ford had asked me to do some some coaching with with um a young driver who's just starting and i did a day with him at silverstone a guy called ryan cullen um who's now daytona 24 winner uh, racing yeah. lmp2 le mans this year he raced with united last year and I just coached him for the day. It was his first proper day in a in a Formula Ford. And at the end of the day, his dad asked me what my rate was, and I didn't know at the time. I hadn't even thought about coaching and you know teaching other people how to drive. I, I was so busy worrying about what I wanted to do. And um, he asked me what I would want for the year to coach his lad, and I I. I declined the offer I, I said oh you know i don't want to i don't want to coach i want to i want to try and find myself a seat and i'm going to mm-hmm. put all my time and effort into that um to which he said well if i pay for your racing will you coach my son all year <laughs> and that's what happened you know and, and and that was the week before that was that was on the monday <laughs> the week of the race <laughs> For the first round yes. at so that was on monday <laughs> on wednesday we got the car he bought a car and gave it yeah. to cliff who was running him at the time right um, which is where the cliff empty racing with cullen motorsport comes from yeah exactly and on friday we went to snetterton <laughs> and drove the car <laughs> So and drove it to some pretty good effect as well. Yeah. And while winning a race, I think I, I think I only won one that weekend. Yes, I won, I believe yeah. But I should have won three. Because I was leading mm-hmm. one and we ran out of fuel. <laughs> in the I think that was the first one. I think I was leading and I ran out of fuel. And in the right. second one, uh I got stuck in I got stuck in fourth gear while while catching the leader pretty significantly. Um and I ended up finishing third or something. And so I was I was pretty cheesed off at the end of the weekend. So yeah. I, I, I can understand that. <laughs> um, obviously having had the year I just had where mm-hmm. I won ev- almost every race I competed in, and then to lose two out of three on what would have been my obviously what was my debut weekend in Renault I was pretty pretty peeved um and then you know we had a similar story at at Rockingham um 
where we just weren't quite fast enough at the second round. We weren't quite fast enough. We were, we, we were okay, but you know, we finished second in both races. And again, you know, I just wasn't happy about it. I'd come from Jamin where everything, you know, absolutely every fiber in the team is just completely focused on was you know, on, on winning, you know, and not resting until, until it, we've got the fastest car. We've got the, you know, the drivers are doing the best mm-hmm. job. And I felt like after that, those first two rounds that I, while, you know, looking back, I should have given them some slack because obviously we got the car a few days before the first race. Yeah. But my expectations were so high having lost that F2 seat and, you know, doing something at the time, you know, I, I felt like I shouldn't be doing anymore. I, I felt like I'd done my time in junior single seaters and wanted to try and move up, you know, into an international level. Yeah. Um, so I was just disappointed. Um, and then, yeah, went to Thruxton and I, I took a lot of the um, performance on my own shoulders for mm-hmm. the third race. Um, so I, I, I spoke to Sarah Shaw, um, who was the engineer from, you know, she owned, they owned, Sarah and Tony owned Manor Motorsport, very successful mm-hmm. Formula Renault team. So I got some setup information from her um, and some data, some reference data. And I brought my coach who was with me the year before at Jamin um, mm-hmm. to help me you know, just as another pair of eyes on the weekend so that I had someone else to see what was going on as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, we went to Thruxton and it all went tits up (laughs) with the team (laughs) Um, because the team didn't agree with me bringing all of this outside, um, you know, outside help. Um, I've, I've never worked with Cliff Dempsey, but I've worked around his garage. And it does yes. seem that you, you see four tech one side and it's all spit and polish and trying to be Formula One. And you, then you see the Cliff Dempsey garage and it's, it's a TN in the back. <laughs> it's it, it's yeah. a bit. Cliff, Cliff, Cliff and his wife, you know, they're, they're, mm. they're super hospitable people. You know, they do oh, everything. People, yeah. Very traditional motorsport, um, mm. you know, and, and, I just felt like at that time that there was a our our expectations weren't aligned, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I was expecting to win, and I felt like the team's expectation was we're doing really well here, we're getting podiums, and I was like, well, it's not quite good enough for me. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna dominate. You yes. know, I wanna dominate again. Um, so yeah, it all went kind of wrong. Um, and Cliff wasn't too pleased with the way that I went about it, um, having brought all this outside stuff, and decided that he didn't want to, he wouldn't, he didn't want to run me anymore. Um, and so between me and the coach, we ran the car at Thruxton kind of on our own. <laughs> um, with the help and from you some want, other and teams, you, it to, you ran it to a win. Uh, more, more than that, right? So <laughs> this is this is what this is the bit that astounded me that weekend, yeah. and and made me kind of it kind of confirmed what I was already thinking, 
you know, it, it, it made me more confident in my conviction at that point because I'd never been to Thruxton before. The first time I drove around Thruxton was in the five-minute warm-up before qualifying. And Thruxton is uh, definitely put on your big boy pants circuit. Isn't yeah, it? exactly. And, and my coach, <laughs> the coach I had, Stephen Colbert, at the time, he's very. Mm. He was very matter of fact. You know, very blunt. You know, anyone who knows him, he's he's so sh- to the point. <laughs> you know, that's what I love. That's what I love about him. Um, that's what I needed at that. You know, when I you know in junior single seaters, that's what you need. You need someone like that who tells you exactly how it is. Go and do it. No, no, no exceptions. Um, you know, and he, he said to me in qualifying, the first time you go through Goodwood, you know, a huge right-hander in a Formula mm-hmm. Renault, your first flying lap is going to be the only lap you can do it flat out. Um, it's the only time the tyres are going to be good enough to do it. He said, and if you don't do it on the first lap, you won't be on pole. Um, so, yeah. It was like wise words from him and off we went and yeah, managed to go and win a race somehow. It really, yes, this, uh, you know, I felt so after, after that sort of performance across that weekend where we took the car and we kind of did our, we did our, we did what we were doing with it the year before, if that makes sense, you know, all that, Mm. you know, we we were looking at the, we were looking at data properly. We were looking at, we had information, we had set up information that we were confident in, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, it just worked. And all our expectations were aligned. We all wanted to win. You know, we both, I say all, both of us, <laughs> we both <laughs> wanted to win. And um, and we did. And then, yeah, and, and I persuaded um, Ryan's dad, Patrick, to move the car and move Ryan to, to Jamin, um, who ran us for the rest of the season and you oh, know. right so Cullum Motorsport was actually Jamin running the car it, it was yeah so Patrick owned the car mm-hmm. um, and it was his team essentially you know it wasn't while it was Jamin it was just it was basically all of their personnel so it was Tom my mechanic from the year before was running my car mm-hmm. um, you know and it, but it was all of Patrick's equipment you know all of Cullum's equipment if you like he owned all of the all of the infrastructure. It was just Jamin personnel. It was a personnel um, supply agreement. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, and it was it was it was successful. Um, you know, and it worked it worked well. You know, but there was more, you know, Croft was another track I'd never been to. Um and I hadn't had I didn't have a chance to to test. There was no there was no testing prior to the event. It was just straight into qualifying. Mm-hmm. So that was a tougher weekend. <laughs> Um, but learning the track in qualifying yeah yeah exactly especially somewhere as abrasive as croft where the again it's similar to thruxton where you know the first lap is the lap on the tires and and that's your lot um so yeah that was a tough weekend but again we dragged a couple of results out of it i think i finished second in one of the races um just scored score points and you know waited for circuits that we we knew we were going to be stronger on and Donington and, and Silverstone tracks I'd raced at previously. Um, you know, just, just go and secure results when we can. So. And as I say, the result worked out pretty darn well. Um, 33 points clear at the, uh, at the top of the table at the end of the, at the end of the year. 
Yeah, yeah, and no, it was um, it was a good way to win as well. It was on live on ITV. It was a touring car weekend as well. Um, we mm. had like a guest slot on the touring car weekend, which was which was nice um, and didn't obviously hurt my cause. Uh, you, know, mm. you know, I was looking for sponsors still. Um, yeah, you know, the the deal I had with with um with Cullen was only for one year, and there was no sort of there was no agreement beyond that. Um, so yeah. Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot at the end of it. <laughs> there was, you know, I, I got the championship, but um, yeah, didn't didn't get too much in the way of uh, sponsorship off the back of it. Sadly, so, yeah, another another year on the sidelines after that. Yeah, but but then you you found sports cars. I did. There was another. You found some chap that some people might know called Nick Jones. Yeah, another c- complete random turn of turn of events so obviously the you know the random meeting of of patrick cullen um to keep my career going in 2012 and at the end of 2013 um kind of decided that um i was going to stop racing because i i raced i tried to keep myself racing i was doing some formula ford races and basically anything that came up aerial atom races and something you know some some demos in bits and pieces just to try and keep my name circulating mm-hmm. um and at the end of it there was it kind of all stopped there was you know there was no nothing was happening you know i, I wasn't getting any clear leads for sponsorship i wasn't getting any drives anywhere you know it was all kind of stopping so um kind of decided the end of that year would be my last race i would do the water haze because it was a Formula Ford race that I'd not won. It was one. Of, it was the only yeah. one I hadn't won. Well, you ticked um, that one off the list. <laughs> yeah. So you know, did it with Kev, who I was friends with, and you know, we had a great weekend, and just randomly met this guy at, at Silverstone on Sunday, Sunday morning. Just had a shared, a, you know, just brief conversation mm-hmm. with him. Turned out to be the guy who was sponsoring the the team at the time. You know, his logos were on all the cars. It was on the truck and all the team wear and stuff. Um, just mm-hmm. had a brief conversation with him, nothing more. Um, yeah, and then won the race. Um, and was pretty much prepared for it, that to be it. And then Monday morning, Nick Jones rings me up <laughs> and says, do you want to go racing? In, in I've bought a Radical. Uh, yeah. So that, and then, and then, it, and then, seven years later, here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Completely it's... random event. <laughs> so, so, so random. It's definitely one of the longest continuous pairings of Pro and Am, isn't it? There aren't there aren't many that run for seven consecutive years. No. Um, uh, you know, and I think. <sighs> Yeah, we've we've been obviously we did a couple of years of radicals learning. You know, Nick Nick was I don't know if you ever met Nick. He's uh, he he does what he says he's going to do uh, quite mm-hmm. often. So when he bought the radical, he'd never seen a radical before, or driven one, or knew anything about it. He just bought one and decided that, that was what he's going to do. And then similarly, if I had the money, I would as well. Well, but then similarly, when when we were racing radicals, he'd never really mentioned GT racing. You know, there was no no talk of that. <clears throat> and then at the end of that year, 
he turned around and said, I bought a Porsche, the new Porsche Cayman. <laughs> we're going yes. to go and do, we're going to go and do British GT. And I, I'm not joking when I say the first ever British GT race mm. or the first ever GT race that Nick had ever been to see was the one mm. he was competing in. <laughs> so that's brave. Yeah. And that's kind of, that's how Nick does, you know, that's how he operates. He doesn't, <laughs> he's, he's just in at the deep end. Let's go. Especially um, when you buy a car to go to British GT with and end up turning up with a different one. Yes. Because you started yeah, off was, in uh, Janetta, didn't you? We did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a, uh, yeah, another but, funny, funny turn of events. But yeah, should have, should have, um, we were promised the car and it, it just never really materialized. So Nick had to go and find something else to, to use. And Janetta were the only people that would, would uh, rent us a car on the basis that we wouldn't be driving it in the second half of the year. Yeah, so potentially you might bend it in the first half of the season and get Porsche the glory at the end of it, yeah. <laughs> potentially. I mean, obviously it wasn't the case. Obviously being our first yeah. year and, you know, Nick's first year was a big jump. It yes. was a huge jump from from what we were doing to, to British GT. Um, but, you know, it's it's um, that's how it is. You know, it's sink or swim, isn't it? Um, and yeah, the, the partnership really between me and it, it, it's more, I think it lasts, it's lasted so well because, you know, we're, we're friends fundamentally. Um, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not like a, you know, a business arrangement, if you like, you know, where it's a pro and an am and, you know, it's a factory driver and, you know there's contracts involved and things like that it's you know we're, we're, we're friends we have been for a long time now and uh, you know spend time with each other away from the track and yeah we 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 talk on the phone and generally you know we have a laugh um so it's i think that's where the the long term you know the the partnership comes from you know because like i say it's it's unusual i think we are the longest unchanged pairing Pro-Am in British GT now. I think we definitely worked out yeah, that that was I, the case um, for our last episode when we were talking about it. Um, I know Nick did a bit of research and we were struggling to find anyone else that had that kind of longevity. Yeah. I mean, it, discounting, you know, the, the drivers that turn up for one round. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I didn't even check how far back they go, but the ones that turn out for the same round every year. Um, and this, that, and the other. But in terms of full season entries, you're you're, you're pretty much the, the, the longest continuously running pro am pairing. I mean, that's and, something I I never expected when we started, for sure. Um, and you know. the the Jones Malvin Parker tie up is the longest running pro am and team as well. Yeah, because I mean. You switched to Parker in in 2017, didn't you? For the uh, 16, halfway through 16. Halfway through 16. My apologies. Yeah. Halfway through um, 16. And you had the full year with the Porsche as well, didn't you? Or was it half a year with the Porsche? We did there? a full year. We did half a year in 16, and then a full year in 17. Which I understand you weren't much loved of that car. In terms uh, of you, you didn't think it had quite the pace or the handling. I can't remember what it was you said to me once. It in was the power. The cold it garage was the power. Yeah, it never. It it just didn't have the power. Um, Porsche. 
well, I say Porsche, it was Manti. Um, so Porsche, it wasn't actually a Porsche car. Well, it, the, it had a Porsche badge on it. It was, it was a Manti, um, yeah. you know, uh, off, off, you know, sort of, you know, offspring of the mm-hmm. Cayman. Um, and it was marketed yeah, as a GT4 MR, car. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah the, well, the club sport initially, and then the MR pack came mm-hmm. out afterwards. Um, but the, the club sport, when we first got it, was badged as a GT4 car. Um, but I think they kind of messed up and realized quite quickly that it wasn't a G, it wasn't GT4 spec. Mm-hmm. It was quite heavily, un, it was underpowered compared to its rivals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can't, it only had like something like 300 and 360 horsepower, something like that. Um, now, well, the McLaren was the, was the, the McLaren was the big one mm-hmm. at like nearly 500 in GT4. Yeah. Um, and we were the same weight as the McLaren. So we're, we're at quite a big disadvantage handling wise. Fantastic. You know, when, especially mm-hmm. once, once the MR pack came out, um, you know, it, it, it came with some damper upgrades and some light body work and things like that. And it was a big step forward. Um, but all of the weight we saved, we were then given back in BOP. <laughs> so we're kind of back to square one. <laughs> so it was kind of a, you know, a bit of a kick in the teeth. And that was the decider. You know, when we, when we got the pack, you know, we waited so long for this upgrade. And then when we got it, we, we couldn't make use of it because BOP put us back. Um, yeah, has, that was has that, the, the experience, has that experience potentially cured Nick's almost impulsiveness buying of cars? Did you t- did you go out and test a few cars before you bought the Mercedes? No, no. <laughs> was, not, like, that Mercedes looks good. We'll have one of them. Yeah, that's not it's, that's not how Nick does things. <laughs> it's it's um, no, we always do things on impulse. Um, no, sometimes the, we off. actually did try the Merc, but he'd already mm. bought it. But by, by the time he tried it, so right, um, we we kind of decided when when Mercedes said they were doing a GT4 car, we looked at what was available at the time and what was around, um, and we thought, well, Mercedes GT3 car was pretty pretty strong, um. It was kind of a no-brainer, you know. Um, and as soon as we, as soon as he made the jump and and said, "Yeah, we'll have one," put his name down the list to get one. Um, they invited us out for a test in Portimao to go to go and try it, um, and we loved it. Both Nick loved it, and uh, it was kind of a, you know, it was well justified. <laughs> it was well justified in the end. Well. We- it it took you the Pro Am Championship in in 2018. The question yeah. I've got related to that car: which did you prefer, the blue or the red livery? I preferred the red, personally. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of the blue. I mean, I love the blue because obviously we got the championship with it. But per, like, just from the only thing I didn't like about the red car was the pink visor sticker. I I, I spoke to Tom over and over and over again, Tom Hornsby, about that, mm. begging him to switch. Because if we could have had, I think GT3 at the time had, I can't remember what colour they had in 2018. I can, I can it, tell you they had bright yellow because... Um, yellow, the, that was it. The pink Lamborghinis just popped up on my desktop background. Right, yellow. <laughs> the yellow would have worked so much better for us. 
or I think even yeah. what we had the year before was it like the white visor strip or the black visor? I can't remember. Is that black something. with the red? Yeah, something like a, that. It's all um, Jake Yorath's work, wouldn't it? That. Yeah, um, I can't remember what it, what color, but I remember thinking yeah. the year before would have worked much much better for us because there was a point when Tom was talking. The championship was saying that we were going to have to have pink number boards as well. I was just <laughs> crying. <laughs> <laughs> thinking that's a horrible clash we've got a red car and pink boards so that's going to be terrible but the, the pink and the blue work really well so you know i do like the blue I, i'm I'm not i'm a big fan of the blue the blue merc that was was one of my favorites hi i'm mia fluid i'm a gt4 driver with balf motorsport and i'm happy to be joining the guys from british et fan show Please follow them on social media at BGTF Show. So, move up to GT3 then, and obviously with the Bentley, sticking with Team Parker, was 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 that decision kind of made because you wanted to stay with the team, which picked the car? Yeah, I mean we, we we've had the same guys on our car since we since we got there. Basically, um, we've had the same group of guys with the same engineer, and we've got such a great relationship you know amongst us all um as as a group the people that are on have been on our car are, that are on our car now the same people that we've had the whole way through um so we all we all know we all know how you know we all know how each other work we all know how each other you know what what gets you know how we all get along and stuff um we have we have great fun um at the weekends yeah, you know, and when we go testing, it's it's um it's a great atmosphere um in the garage. You know, it's a it's big family, and that was that was the that was where the decision came from. Really, just you know, we didn't want to lose that. Nick's a very loyal person as well. Uh, you know, as you can tell, he's mm. kept hold of me for a long time now. <laughs> you know, so he's loyal to people that look after him. Um, and the team have been very, very good to us. You know, we've got no reason to, they've, they've never put a foot wrong, you know, as a team, Parker are, you know, they're, they're, they're a great bunch of guys, especially the people we've got on our car, you know, that they, they would, you know, they, they'd never leave anything to chance. It's a hundred percent effort when it matters mm-hmm. and great fun, you know, afterwards. <laughs> Indeed. So whose idea was it? to go out on a wet Donington Park circuit with slick tyres on. Oh, that was my fault. Your fault? Yeah, that was me. Um, basically, because race one was so bad. That was, that was, the, that was the decision-making process right there. Uh, yeah, what, it can only go that little bit worse, which is in the gravel well, at the first corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, was, it was quite literally as black and white as that was everyone looking at the track and then I was sat in the car ready to go to the grid mm-hmm. um, and Ben our engineer basically said well it's your it's your call you know if you want to put slicks on if you want to put wets on that's obviously what we've got planned um, but if you want to roll the dice and go slicks then that's you know I, I've got to hear you say it I'm not going to put you on slicks unless mm-hmm. you say I want to put slicks on the car. <laughs> um, was, there, was there any point in the lap to the grid formation lap 
and those first couple of laps when you were there were cars all around you that were faster than you, than you on the wet tires and you, you were just having to hold on until you got the temperature into the slicks weren't you was there any yeah. time in that you thought i've made the wrong decision here uh yeah on the green flag lap um it was a lot wetter <laughs> everywhere else than it was on the pit wall <laughs> um all my my only thought was getting around the green flag lap was can I get round on slicks if I can get round without going off essentially then I was confident that we would be okay as long as it doesn't rain again <laughs> which is another big risk because um, it wasn't exactly bright was it um, no, I mean we, we watched the first we, we, we were trackside for the first race and we were sat in my house drinking no, coffee for a second. It was miserable. <laughs> it was miserable. So, yeah, it was a bit gamble. But unfortunately, that was a huge weakness of the car, of the Bentley. Those greasy, wet conditions were just couldn't be worse for the Bentley, especially if it starts to dry at all and you, you're stuck on wets or on a dry track. Mm. Um, it's literally, you know, it's, it's just pure hell at that point um and race one was you know we saw you know, everyone saw how bad race one was for us at donington you know i think we finished i don't know how far behind the leader we were at the end um but it was a long way <laughs> um i'll so, check on tsl but i probably wouldn't want to thanks. You. yeah thanks thanks um yeah so putting slicks on you know the only way it could go worse is if i put it in the wall mm. and you know, and fortunately, that didn't happen. Um, and we, we somehow managed to scrape a win together. <laughs> I honestly don't know how. Um, the thing is, you, it looked like you held on long enough for 34 sets of wet tyres to clear the track. And then with 34 cars going around, standing water's going to lift fairly quickly, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, uh, gee, it's surprising how that's, I think, you know, something that I learn quite quickly in you know gt racing is that the transition from wet to dry if it's not raining is incredibly fast because gt cars just pick the water up off the ground and just they in huge quantities and just suck it up up out of the tarmac and throw it into the trees somewhere um you know so the track dries thanks for that fast Yes. Thanks well, for that. We were, backside. we were the ones who were getting the water you were throwing up. Well, motorsport can be dangerous. You shouldn't be standing <laughs> so close. Um, so, yeah, knowing that and having seen that before, um, it can't, It was a calculated risk, but the basic of it was it can't be worse than race one. So let's give it a go. Um, it paid. Yeah. paid off. Yeah, we weren't the only ones that went on slicks. It was, um, you know, a few other cars did go on slicks. You know, mm. obviously Joe was on slicks as well on the front row. Um, yeah. And, and Phil, Phil was on slicks as well on, in the Lamborghini. Was he? he was, yeah. And he, I was I was quite worried about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thinking that nice mid-rear engine. Well, but to be honest with you, both of them, the McLaren and the Lamborghini, more so the Lamborghini because, you know, that kind of half and half conditions, you know, you don't want a turbo engine. You want nice linear power from a normally aspirated engine. 
yeah. and you don't want the engine at the front. You want it over the rear wheels for traction. <laughs> so it was like the other two, you know, the Lambo was like almost like the best of the, the best of that. So yeah, I was half expecting it. Did him you to learn sort of... your lesson there then? And is that why you've now got a naturally aspirated, naturally aspirated flat six that's hanging <laughs> out the... past the back? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, no, the it, what what we found. I mean, I don't know if it's. I, I don't think it's true for all turbo cars that the Bentley was mm. particularly difficult to drive in, especially in those conditions. Snetterton was another one. You know, that weekend at Snetterton mm. where it was wet. You know, lots and lots of traction zones. You know. Lots of first and second gear corners. Um, it's not ideal for the Bentley with all of that torque and all, you know that those big turbos. Um, you know, you get no you know, it, all the power comes in a big surge, um, which then turns into wheel spin. <laughs> so yeah. you the know, Ferrari you don't tend to go very far as well, isn't it? The Ferrari, the Ferrari did struggle at Snet. I, I don't think. I don't think for the same reasons as us. Um, I do think potentially a little bit just drivability because obviously, again, it's turbo. Mm. Um, but I, th- I think they were struggling with tyre temperatures more than anything for some reason. We we were just struggling with getting around the track. <laughs> never, mind, yeah. never mind anything else. Um, yeah, that it was, was a t- out was, Yeah, it was tough. It was a tough weekend that was, um, and ultimately it was the end of our relationship with the Bentley um, because we didn't drive it again after that. <laughs> so, yeah, um, um, unfortunately, it didn't go particularly well when you went back to the Mercedes. Was that a, uh, a car problem? It went or? well up to the start of the race. <laughs> yeah. Um. Was it, was that a car problem or was it, was it something no. break or no 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 it was um just unfortunate um so mm. qualifying was fine it was really good I mean I I, I set I broke that record in qualifying for GT4 um yeah. and then Nick was and Nick was quite strong as well in his qualifying um it was a bigger transition for Nick to go back from GT3 to GT4 very different styles um. And yeah, he just Nick just made a small, small mistake um, in in the middle of Beckett's, um, lost the rear, mm. spun round. Um, fortunately, spun round off and off the racing line, um, mm. but was unfortunately somehow collected by Mia um, on her way round, um, and that was the end of that. Yeah. Ripped the wheel off and and and. There we, there, that was where it stayed. <laughs> yes, it was, it, it was very unfortunate, but obviously more to look forward to this year. New car. Yes. And it half looked good. Yeah, um, I, I, I was so um, surprised that the livery worked so well um, on the Porsche. Um, but I just... When I got the first pictures of it after it had been wrapped, um, I just couldn't stop looking at it. it you know, it's just, and even now, you know, I went to the track. We went to the track on Tuesday for the shakedown, and I just, I just sat, stood in the garage looking at it all morning. <laughs> just 
such a nice piece of equipment. You know, it's so. If it goes half as well as it looks, you're you're a dead yeah. sir. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's so nice. It's you know one of the nicest GT3 cars I think I've ever seen. Um, in terms of just design and stuff, it's you know the, the the parts and the components and things are just so so well done. So we're not going to ask you a lot about the Porsche in this segment because we've got a few questions about mm-hmm. that from the fans. Okay. So the final question we've got in this more formal interviewee segment, uh, you've previously expressed a goal of being associated with a manufacturer, so a factory driver. Is that still something you're aiming for, or, or are you quite happy in this role of, of working with, with an AM wherever they decide to go and bring them on? Um, I think I would, you know, my personal goal is to become a factory driver for sure. Um, it's something I've wanted to achieve for a while um, and something I would like to have a go at um, you know having had success on a national level um, in, in single seaters you know I, I really I really want the opportunity you know, I really wanted the opportunity to try and replicate some of that success at international level mm-hmm. obviously that opportunity never came in single seaters but in gt racing that opportunity is there um and especially as a, as a as a factory driver you know the opportunity to drive with you know with a manufacturer support and with some of the best teams in the world um is an opportunity I would like to to be able to take um, if it if it comes my way. Um, my loyalty is with Nick, you know. Mm. In the in that, you know, he's without Nick, I wouldn't have a career. I wouldn't I wouldn't still be racing. Mm. Um, so I don't see why, you know, I I can't combine the two if the opportunity was there. You know, and I would like mm. to. If it was possible, um, give Nick the opportunity as well to come and be a part of that um, in a pro am, you know, in a pro am setting. And with you, say, potentially as a Porsche factory driver and Nick driving the Porsche in GT World Challenge or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Something, you know, that would be that would be my an 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 end goal for me, hmm. you know, in my career. Um, to try and repay some of Nick's faith in me, you know he's he's put a lot of trust and a lot of time and a lot of faith into me. Um, you know, I would like to be able to repay him at some point and make you know make it all seem worth worthwhile. And are you now a GT driver or are you a sports car driver? Does the prototypes hold up here for you? If if Nick decided to buy a P two car, for example, uh, no, I'm I'm fundamentally a driver. That's you know, I, I, as a as a as a driver, I will drive anything. Um, so no, if 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 he was decided to buy a, a you know a prototype or something like that, then I would certainly be interested to drive alongside him. Um, or or you know. If, if there was an opportunity for me to be associated with a manufacturer, potentially in something like um, 
LMDH or LMH in the future, um, then yeah, obviously I, I would love to take something like that. Um, but at the moment, my 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 complete priority is to is to Nick and to making this this project with you know Parker and Porsche, um, making it successful. How long before we shorten that to the Parker Porsche? The the the, the Parker Porker. Uh, I mean, if that's <laughs> if that's how it's going to end up, then yeah. <laughs> It's it, it, it's pretty much inevitable, isn't it? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, I guess so. That's the end of part one of our first guest special this year. Part two is available now from your usual podcast provider. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you keep up to date with the British GT Fan Show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, the show's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen Creative and RPS-driven media production. To find out more, visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk.